On this episode of Year One, we speak to Melody Obert Bukatek, founder and CEO of The Collegiate Writer, a program that teaches high school seniors how to write standout college application essays while, at the same time, equipping them with writing skills to last a lifetime. Melanie speaks about the push she got to change a limiting belief about entrepreneurship, selecting mentors, finding a team, lessons learned, and glorious fails. Melanie speaks passionately and with an energy that is infectious. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. We start off with the same question for all of the people to join our podcast, and that is, why entrepreneurship? What happened that you decided, or what was that pivotal moment that said, you know what, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I'm going to carve my own way in life and not do the traditional nine to five? Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share this perspective. So I have been pretty clear on my mission for years, and that is that I'm interested in elevating lives through writing, helping people know that they can leverage the power of writing. The thing is that I was in a constrained environment. It was the only environment I knew. My whole career had been in education. And so I was exploring, well, how can I do this as a classroom teacher? And I got really good at teaching writing, except I still felt constrained. There were rules that I had to follow. And that's all right. However, it's not always the best environment for helping people blossom and grow as writers. And so then I became an instructional coach. And I was hired to work with 66 teachers across a building to help them get better at teaching writing. And I thought, ah, this is the ultimate. And it was really great. And it was empowering for those teachers and therefore the students. However, it was still rather restrictive and hindering of what is permissible in school spaces. And schools are constantly held to standards of assessment. And so what continued to happen was Although we could make huge strides with writing, there was still a genre that was constantly the one, a single genre. We're going to go over the five paragraph essay. And so, <laughs> and then I became an instructional facilitator across 50 schools. And I was hired for one reason, to improve writing instruction at every single grade level across all 50 schools. And here again, I thought, now this is the ultimate. This is the way to teach people that they can leverage the power of writing and that there's many different types of writing. We can enter it from all different ways and that we are all biologically wired to even do this thing. And it was an incredibly rewarding experience all around, except it was still hindering. There were still strategies that were mandated to be taught that actually caused people to not like writing so much so that they are taken out of this opportunity to tap into an amazing tool and skill. So many years of that frustration of me thinking, well, this is the system I'm in and I keep trying to go about it in another way, but kept bumping up against those boundaries that are there. And my husband is an entrepreneur, yet I had this idea that there could only be one entrepreneur in a household. I, that's just what I had decided was a real rule. 
my my dad was an entrepreneur and my mom worked at a university and I was like well that's just what a partnership is one person gets the health insurance and the paycheck every month and the other one does the other thing and so very mistakenly thought that was the rule and I'm so fortunate though that my husband does not think that's the rule and in a single conversation he coached me to a place of course we could have two entrepreneurs and so ultimately the reason I chose to leave that very traditional role that very safe role is I was interested in pushing the boundaries and I realized I I could only do that if I was outside of the traditional educational system and I'm able to benefit more people now I have two businesses that I run and one I'm a solopreneur and then the other one that I'd love to talk about more on this podcast is the one that I'm aiming to scale. So, so Millie, just quickly, if it wasn't for your husband who actually pushed you and said, this thing that there can only be one entrepreneur in the family is rubbish, you've got an idea to do it. If it wasn't for him, would you have done it? Super question. We'll never know. He was instrumental in me getting to that place of clarity. I'd love to think I could have gotten there on my own without that coaching, but honest to goodness, I don't know that I would have been able to push that thinking. I like to say you would have got there eventually. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been building businesses since 18. And when folks like us see a problem, it keeps bugging us. It keeps gnawing at us. It keeps eating away at every other thought. And you either get there consciously and decide to get the help from your husband and do what you got to do to start something, or you're going to do it out of desperation because that problem takes up so much space in your head that you will get to a point of no return. And I believe that whether the husband, your husband was nice enough to push you past the comfort zone or you're going to get there eventually, the problem you're trying to solve would have ate at you until you took a shot at it. So lucky for the world, time is now sort of sped up a little. So you're already in the game versus yeah. getting there eventually. But when I meet entrepreneurs, I could sense it, man. I can see it. I can hear it that this is going to be something that you take on no matter what. That's my two cents. Love it. Let's, that's exactly it then. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the business that you're wanting to scale. Tell us about that business. And in education, I love to ask uh, founders this question, who is your ideal customer? Well, okay. So the business that I'd love to talk about is the Collegiate Writer. And this is the company that reduces stress for high school seniors and also their families and their schools during the college application process. The Collegiate Writer teaches high school seniors how to write high quality standout college application essays. And there are so many benefits, but to me, the top three are the students and families do not have to pay for this service. So for years, I have helped people write their essays. However, I would make a lot of money doing that. And so I was working with affluent families, nothing wrong with affluent families, but I now have a system where I'm able to serve and work with communities that do not have to pick up the tab for that. Also, students learn to write in ways that they were not taught in traditional school spaces. So this, for me, is my number one. It's not the number one for the client. They don't even know it's happening. But what does happen is they leave with these school, these skills that they can use forever because writing is a tool for life. 
we can look at all sorts of areas of our lives and we can elevate those areas through writing. And now these students, they have, they can do that instead of feeling hindered and brought down by the writing process and dreading it. They're learning ways and strategies to use it beyond the essay. But for me, the essay is my head fake. It's people come to me because they care about the essay and that's fine. I can teach them how to write a great essay, but really what they're learning, high quality writing skills and tools that they'll use for the rest of their life. Also, I have a 100% success record of students getting accepted into top-notch school. Yes. Okay, Hi, Melody. Top, yes, and it is affording opportunities for those who maybe wouldn't have it other way. So I feel like I cracked the code. I figured out a system to make sure that we can do this to scale, that thousands of students can be served every single season. First off, wow. 100% success yeah. rate is totally needed in, in, in today's market where there's so many layers around admissions. I don't know if you saw the Netflix mm -hmm. around folks being bribed or whatever the tactics yeah. were to get kids in with limited seats. And so there's so many students that couldn't get in because they didn't have the connections or they didn't have. So that's the dark side of the industry. And then here you are saying, man, I'm not only writing an essay or helping them write an essay, but I'm teaching them life skills forever. And I've got a pretty good track record. Melanie. Oh, yeah. That's dope. Thank you. So, Melanie, in terms of the business itself, right, you said that you took this route because you were frustrated with the constraints in the traditional way of doing things. So you wanted to do something slightly differently. And this is what you're doing with the Collegiate Writer. But you are introducing something different into an environment where there's a structured and a set way of doing it. Was that a hindrance to you launching your solution or was that actually something where there was this huge appetite and demand for a different approach? Your questions are fantastic. Thank you. So I was truthfully quite resistant at first to even being able to think more openly and broadly about it because of the structure of it. And because of my frustration with writing being used as a gatekeeper, it bothers me. Yeah. And it's used as a gatekeeper in all sorts of areas, not just admissions to college. But and so it was sort of with initial resistance that I even started in this route because I felt that I was perpetuating an issue that already existed. But what I now see is that this system does exist. I'm not currently changing this system. I'm able to enter it from another angle to say, we got this. I know the code of how to write high quality essays. I will teach you how to write essays without a five paragraph formula. I will teach you that you already have every single school skill that you already need in order to do this. I'm gonna teach you how to use your phone differently. I'm gonna show you a video and we're going to talk about how the aspects of recording that video actually help you with your writing. Okay. I'm going to do all of these things within the end goal of, yeah, yeah, it's a structure piece. There's a certain number of words that we'll get to, and we're going to do that at the very end. But we've got five hours that we're going to go through to get you to your standout essay. I love that. So you took a slightly different approach 
into the market in order to actually gain that or create that USP for yourself. But that being said, how did you actually go about building that audience, marketing yourself, making yourself, what were some of the challenges that you actually experienced? Oh, and I still experience them. So they're current. The market is actually, it's there. There are, I think it's, I don't have my numbers up in front of me. I want to say there's 3.2 million students who are a graduating from high school every year and applying to college and cannot afford the affluent level of writing support. And so there's a huge market already. This is an incredibly stressful time of life for these high schoolers and their families, and they're navigating something new. And we've got guidance counselors who are overwhelmed already. And guidance counselors have training in other areas. They're amazing at what they do. They actually don't have training in how to teach people to write. That's not their expertise. And English teachers do have an expertise in teaching writing. However, they have gone through a system that teaches writing in a particular fashion. So nothing against English teachers. I'm all for teaching writing in school. However, what I'm saying is that's not their level of expertise either for these, the specific type of writing for the students. So everyone's overwhelmed. And now, thankfully, the universities and colleges are no longer requiring SATs and ACTs. So many of them have just completely gotten rid of them or they're optional, which is just bananas cool because that, those assessments are problematic for many reasons. And so now the need for the essay to speak on behalf of the student has ratcheted up. So there's a, the need was already there. And now it's me letting them know, I got you. I got you at the lowest price point of anybody in the country who's offering this. And I've been in the school district system. So the teacher, you started to say about the six month waiting time for districts. I know that game. Yeah, it's real. It's real, but it's a game I'm willing to play because I understand that the school districts do have funding for that. They've got lines of funding for college and career ready, and they've got numbers to hit how many students are applying, where they're getting accepted to. And so I understand the rules of those games. I'm happy to play because I know that at the end, these students are going to get a really high quality experience and it doesn't come out of their own pocket. I also work with community-based organizations. And so these organizations so to, uh, scoop up students, so to speak. So the students who are academically ready, they want to go to college, but they might be in, in a household where they're going to be a first-generation student. So they don't happen to have family members who've had that experience of writing these essays, for example. And so these organizations already exist. So I'm able to tap into them. They're a nonprofit. They've got fundraising avenues. And so they're able to then pick up the tab on behalf of the students. Now, my latest entry point that I am in the midst of just starting is parent-teacher organizations and looking to see if I can partner with them if they are interested in sponsoring students to these great high-quality essays completed. And I have been looking, not looking, I have applied to several and I have not been successful in one of them different startup incubators, different fundraising platforms. None of them have come to fruition yet. And so at one end, I'm so excited to be able to share experiences. And then on the other end, I am ready to learn because in that space, I don't even know what I don't know yet. I love that. And that was going to be my follow-up question, Melanie. Clearly from your resume, you've been a lifelong learner, including a PhD in curriculum design just fantastic. Now 
you've got this entrepreneurial journey. What are some of the things that you've had to learn from an entrepreneurship perspective that today, when you look back and you go, man, why aren't we teaching this stuff to kids instead of trying to figure this thing out when we got out on our own? Because I'm constantly running into amazing academics who are transitioning into first-time entrepreneurship and the, the framework that they're using is completely wrong. It doesn't line up with you know, what's happening in today's rapid, socially-driven, technology-infused ecosystem. So I'm curious to know what are some of the things that you've had to learn and what's your support network like today? Who are you learning from? That has been a huge learning for me, going from one environment that I had been in for over 20 years and then as an entrepreneur. And I was naive. Of course, I know that environments are different. I've lived in seven different states. And I was just telling a friend this story about how driving, we had the same rules all across the United States. We had the same rules. You drive on the right-hand side of the road and stop signs mean this. But in every state where I have lived, there are different nuances to that. When I'm driving in Pittsburgh, even if the other person has a stop sign, there's, there's a Pittsburgh left. And it's just like a common courtesy to let people go, even when the traffic signals say otherwise. And in Delaware, there are yield signs when we merge that are that people follow differently than they did when I lived in Colorado. And I and so I should know that every environment, even if there are similar rules, it's going to function differently. But I'll tell you, it's been <laughs> the biggest learning for me. So I was in education, which is still relatively safe. It's safe on where that funding comes from and how it gets used and the people who function within it and then you know how you're rated and how raises happen and all it. And then I moved to entrepreneurship where when I looked at what sort of mentorship could I get to and who might be helpful, what I found were there's a lot of sizzle and not a lot of steak. And when I was in education, you see the steak. It's clear there's really great steak and there's actually not a lot of sizzle because you don't need the sizzle when you've got the high quality researcher who's been doing this for years and they're great and you can see it. Anyway, I was sort of blinded. I didn't know. I didn't have a filter in place. And I definitely got burned trying to hire out help for mentorship. And I was, I have this visual that I see in my mind of the ground and flowers coming up and like just super beautiful flowers. And I was like, oh my gosh, those are the best. They have the most nutrients. Obviously, I'm going to go to them. And I never took the time to look at the roots. Like, what's underneath? Until I engaged in work with them and I realized those roots are not deep at all. You haven't even been doing this as long as I have, but I didn't know to look at the root. So that's been my biggest learning. And now it's like I lift up the ground and I want to see all those roots first. That is so cool. I love that analogy as well. So collegiate, do you have a team behind you or is this a solo entrepreneur venture? I love that because I'm on the verge. I just today met with Trinet because that's who I'll partner with as I'm onboarding my new team. And so, so, yeah. Well, it's a great milestone. And I get that leads me to my next, my follow-up question on that is, how do you go about finding that right team? Because at the moment, this is your baby. You've got a vision. You've got a way of working. You've sold your dream out there. Now you need to go and bring another team on board. How do you find that process? For me, it's two different processes. So the one that's easier for me is finding my instructors because that's my training. I know how to teach 
And even more specifically, I know how to teach others how to teach writing. That's my jam. And so that part is exciting for me. I know exactly the area that I'm looking at. I'm hiring PhD, current PhD students. They're in the field of education already. And quite frankly, if they don't have any background in teaching of writing, that doesn't matter to me because I know I can teach them how to do that. And it's almost a bonus if they don't have that background because we don't have to undo that learning. So that part... I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I missed it. And I sent you my resume. Opportunity you said. So sorry, I interrupted. That's all right. As I'm in the market, so this is perfect. <laughs> so that part feels great. I've got lots of connections across the country with who I can have as a, in those instruction spaces. The other area is definitely more difficult for me. And I'm starting just with my own network as I'm getting the word out. So I know who I need, what positions I need to hire. And I need all of those people to be much smarter than me in all of those areas. Like, for example, outreach. And I want to call it marketing, but I had a recent experience that I almost don't want to use that word because it's not just marketing. It's high quality client acquisition while still caring that the client gets what they're deserving. So whatever that title could be. <laughs> so I have five positions that I'm hiring for, but I'm actually just starting in my own network. As I'm first learning how to even create these, the positions so people know what they're after. But then, of course, who do I know that might already be a great fit? That's amazing. Let's talk about some glorious fails. Things that, you know, other people can learn from that, that you want to share, that you can talk about. I know you, you just said, hey, I don't want to talk about the marketing thing, but that prompted me to go. But I kind of want to know what happened. But outside of that, in my early days, yeah. I would love to get a couple of stories in on, on some glorious, amazing, painful failures that we can turn into knowledge. Yes. Happy to share because I wish I would have heard it somewhere else first. Yeah. So the marketing one goes like this. I knew that I needed particular materials, obviously a website and a high quality name and a logo, like those sorts of things. And that in my other business, I just did all of that on my own, meaning like Fiverr and 99designs, that sort of a thing. Great. Super. It worked. And for this one, I thought, I don't have the mental capacity right now to manage all of this. So I'm going to go with a marketing firm. And I thought that I had done my due diligence and researched different places first. And I had narrowed it down to six. And I met with all six of the firms and all six of them sent me proposals. And then based on those proposals, I eventually picked one. And I was so excited on what I had picked that I actually convinced my husband that he too should use the same firm. So simultaneously, we both enter contracts for our separate businesses and we hire them in, in a month. doesn't matter what month it was, but it took then the next seven months for things to be produced. And it was just one of the most frustrating engagements. What I ended up learning, because I didn't look at the roots, I didn't know what to look for. In this case, what I ended up what we had hired is just simply a company that they themselves then end up going to Fiverr to find people and they don't end up doing the managing, which I thought I was hiring for project management. And it was so frustrating, but the additional layer of that frustration that I now know is that as a one, someone I communicate in writing, it's a big deal to me and how people communicate in writing is also a very big deal. And so both my husband and I were having unfortunate experiences with things not getting done. And 
he would send an email and I would send an email and he would get an email response immediately and he would happen on his and mine wouldn't get touched and no! i'm not no part of this is made up this is no joke it was one of the most frustrating experiences and because in my other the other business that i run just on my own i work with businesses solopreneurs and businesses not to needing to be on the podcast but just so you gentlemen know i'm currently partnering with adobe right now like i get to do really big time work in my other solopreneurship business okay so and part of what i do there is I help people understand the power of language and how we can use it to retain customers and all that sort of great stuff. And so what I have, one of my research backgrounds is analyzing writing. And so I took all of the email communication that I got and all of the email communication they sent to my husband and I analyzed both of it. It is wildly different. The way he was treated in these interactions, even though he had the same frustration, astronomically different than the words and the phrasing and the tone and the timing for mine. I'm not even joking on this. And that's what we ended up doing with our next bout of when we didn't work with this company anymore. He, as a joke, he said, what if you just sign my name on this next thing? His name is Joe. I was like, I'm in there. I'm trying it out. And I felt like I was treated better with the name Joe. In the name Melanie. This went from horrible to whatever comes up so horrible. It felt unreal. It felt, I know the research behind this. The research says this is real. This is true. People are gendered and how they treat each other. I mean, like, but I, as a teacher, as a school leader, then as a district leader, I actually had not experienced it to this level until I entered the business world. And there's this quote that people love to say, everybody has the same 24 hours, right? That gets thrown around so much. And one of the things that bothers me is that I do have the same 24 hours as my husband, but I spend so much more time in these sort of situations than he does. He gets to send a single email and things get attended to. And my average was three levels of communication before things would get done. And so we, yeah, we have 24 hours, but it's different. Yeah, no, that's unfortunate, man. That's unfortunate, but no, this is a reality. And one of the things you brought out, which I want to touch on briefly, is this idea of outsourcing because so many of the early founders that, that we meet are shy about outsourcing and you casually dropped in the Fiverr and the 99 design. And so talk to us a little bit about the freelance model because you can't do it all. You can't always hire full-time folks. You got to leverage a global workforce from a pricing perspective and sometimes not even pricing. Folks that can work in different time zones that they can continue momentum when you're sleeping. But what was the, the experience in that world of trusting and hiring folks? I'm a fan. I think it is worth the upfront work to find who is high quality because people are people and people are motivated by different reasons and why they're on that platform, all of that. So, but by now I have who I believe are a trusted group that, I, that are my go-to. And even, so the most recent use was for, I'm co-authoring a book and part of our proposal that we are submitting tomorrow, Wednesday, has to be an updated CV. And so my CV, since I became a business owner, had not been updated in quite a while. And I know that I could have gone through and done the formatting, but I estimated it was going to take me about 90 minutes to get my CV looking pretty, the font, the right size and the, all of that. And so what I did was last night before I went to bed, I sent it to my trusted group that I believe does high quality work consistently. And I paid them $15 and then $2 processing fee. 
of $17. I woke up this morning to my CV looking beautiful and totally worth $17 because 90% oh. of my time is hundreds of dollars. That's going to make hundreds of dollars an hour, not so Fiverr. I've used Upwork as well, but for me, I stick with Fiverr and this is not an advertisement for them, but I view it sort of as CVS and Walgreens. Like they both do the same thing. And there's like different benefits. You, know, you go to Walgreens and you get your points. And you go to CVS and you get your points. The longer you go to one, it's better for you financially. But I just found that being on one platform was easier and better for me to maintain. And I've got my core group there. I love that. Melanie, even what? my business plan. I So like I had the crux of my business plan, but formatting a 30-page business plan with page numbers yes. matching up with the headlines, I'm not interested in doing. That would take me a couple of hours. $17 later, my 30-page business plan looks beautiful. I love that. I love that. Melanie, what has this journey taught you about yourself? Oh, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> How much time do we have? Oh, golly. Has it taught me about myself? I guess the one area was just being super naive. Yeah. And sort of overly trusting. So I had to learn. I learned to be a little bit more discerning in my trust, which I make that sound like a bad thing, but I actually think it's better. I just think that all people probably would benefit from that. And I lived a little bit too much of a trusting life before. So definitely learned that. I've learned that I love the transferability of skills. I just, I adore every time something happens where I think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm using this strategy that I used when I was in my early twenties as a brand new teacher. That languaging that I use then is actually helping me now in the languaging that, oh, it's, I love that. Very cool. I have a new question to add into the mix, Dion. Somebody asked me this week, we were trying to get into some accelerators in the U.S. And I've never been asked this question. So I'll ask you, because I'm still working on my answer. Fill in the blank. I'll know my company has succeeded when dot, dot, dot. Well, well my first thought was, how many students? So my goal is in three years, I'll be able to serve 163,000 students every year. And that to me currently, because that's just, I have huge goals for my mission, but if, it, if we're just talking about the collegiate writer, I'll know it's successful when at least 160,000 students are served every single year. I love that. I love that. So Melanie, we've come to the end of our discussion now. It's really been good. I just want to clarify. Can I squeeze in one, one more question? I'm sorry. I'm intrigued by the work she does. Uh, I've got a couple of kids at home and I know you were talking about writing skills and essays getting into college, but I see my teenage daughter go from paragraphs to emojis in how she communicates. I see my young guy on a trip, similar path. We see articles of emails are no longer the right way to communicate and we're at Slack and short communications. And so as adults, we're going smaller and smaller into writing. As young folks, before they go to college, they're trained to go smaller and smaller. Here you are talking about a business that talks about writing essays. Where do you fit in what's happening in the world? I love this very specific question because everything that you're saying is totally true on how our current teenagers are writing. And it is glorious. It is a fantastic way of communicating. And I say well done to them. 
And in the classes that I teach, absolutely, please use emojis. Yes, please. Your first draft, you, nobody gives a hoot if there are punctuation or capital letters or any of that. You can talk directly in your phone if you'd like to. That's a brilliant way of getting our thoughts out. Yes, use emojis. Then we're going to come back in and I'm going to push you a little bit. I've seen your smiley face there. Tell us more about what that means. We're going to transfer that into words. What are those words? So I start where the students are. Instead of saying there's no phones and proper punctuation immediately and perfection at first and five paragraphs at first, that is, those are some of the most hindering ways of forcing people to engage in something that actually we are biologically wired to do. We've got some really cool research studies about look at our brains and look at how we have wiring so that way we are able to communicate in written physical forms. And I actually, I did my first TEDx a couple of months ago and I unpack a little bit of the research behind why it is that we are biologically set up for this. And so although I think everyone should be able to tap into it in comfortable ways, we'll just keep talking about our teenagers. And that one of the things is that I remind them that they're born to do this. And I'm so, and I apologize. I'm so sorry if you've been in situations where you've been told the way you're doing it's wrong. Golly, that sticks. And it probably makes you not want to write anymore. But in this space, you're going to write in ways that are comfortable. And I want to teach you how to play the game. Because in this particular game that we're playing, there are rules that we have to abide by. And we're going to play them. And it's going to be great. We're going to get there. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for indulging me in the last question. All right. So to close out, Melanie, I'm going to, I would like you to tell me what comes to mind, the thought or the phrase that comes to mind are the following three words. So the first word is family. And this is in the con uh, context of you running your own business. Oh, I thought you were, I'm sorry. Right, I misunderstood the question. I thought there were three words. No, it's <laughs> the first word is family. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm responding at one at a time. Oh my gosh, gentlemen, I'm so sorry. I didn't understand the rules of the game and it's waiting. Okay. It's all good. It's all good. This is the best podcast ever. Let's go. So in the context of my company, the word family, I, it actually splits for me in two ways. So one, in the background of me scaling and growing my team, I've been working on the manual, the handbook for what we have. And I have been soliciting information from co former colleagues that I've had. If you could have your dream place to work, what would it entail? Not like ping pong tables in the break room, but like really at the core, what would you want? And consistently what's coming up is acknowledgement that my family is my life. And I have, that feedback has been so helpful. And so when I'm building this team from nothing to hopefully enormous, and I'm going to make sure that employees are well cared for and they want to come to work and they know that they're changing lives. And they'll also know that the collegiate writer will always recognize that your family is your life. And, this is a and the second word was actually team, but I think in a way you've answered as well, because team and family are almost synonymous for you in the, con in the context of what you're building. Yes. And team makes me think about making sure that whoever is on the team is consistently getting to work in a fashion where they're just being pushed. Like nobody needs to be so far outside that they don't know anything that they're doing. That's so wildly uncomfortable. And I'm uninterested in anybody feeling bored or complacent because I've been in those jobs before. So being a part of this team is making sure that we're all functioning in all the cliche ways, like in our zone of genius, whatever we want to call it. 
it can have, I don't care the name, we can name it anything. I want people to be able to function there consistently on the team. Brilliant. And then my last word, entrepreneurship. Ah, entrepreneurship. It's so sad. I'll tell you that I can't, my first thought is lonely. Oh, love it. <laughs> yeah. I don't want it to be. I'm very interested in a high quality community. That's been another one of my learnings is are there communities that exist that entrepreneurs are a part of that don't have every member with their hand out? That's what I keep encountering that. I join a community and people keep trying to sell me stuff. I just want to be in it together and not necessarily selling our goods to each other. So the fact that you say it's lonely, although it's lonely, this is a journey that you want to go on. Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So, so it's you know, currently lonely is a byproduct of it at times. I do have support. Obviously, I'm my husband. Clearly, if he helped me to recognize we could have two entrepreneurs in the household, he's an incredible support. I also have some really dear friends who have entered entrepreneurship very recently. And so there's a sort of a mass exodus right now in, of educators leaving. And so I just happen to be on the journey a little bit before them, but they've been a really great community to be a part of. Brilliant. So Melanie, I really love this conversation. We wish you everything of the best. You say that you're going through this process of scaling. I hope you achieve that scale that you actually want because what you're doing as profound benefit for everyone. So I wish you everything of the best. And I want to thank you for actually coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Safish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by BlueMax. For more Year One content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bloomx.io to join us on Discord.